0: From the Ground Up, a podcast of the Alabama Extension Home Grounds team, educating you about home landscapes, gardens, and home pests.
1: Pollinators play a vital role in not only our food supply, but also maintaining a rich biodiversity in our ecosystem as well. Today, we're joined by Allison Shabel, Urban Regional Extension Agent in North Alabama. And she's here to talk about pollinators in your garden and landscape and how to provide food, protection, and a healthy environment. So Welcome.
0: Hey! Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here.
1: Awesome. Well, um, we're glad to have you on, and I know you're you're really
0: um, passionate. Passionate about pollinators. Yeah,
1: there you go. Passionate <laughs> about pollinators, and I, you know, I know a little about them, obviously, but I'm not as well versed in pollinators as you. So, tell me all you can about pollinators.
0: Um. Well, pollinators are super important. You know. Um, Pollinators can be lots of different things, lots of different species. Um, Brian, you could be a pollinator. People could be pollinators. Wind can be pollinator. Um, But the majority of our pollination is done by animals, specifically insects. About 80% of our plants are pollinated by insects and other animal species. Things like bats, hummingbirds, Bees. Bees are probably the workhorse of yeah. our pollinators. Um, birds, butterflies, flies, moths, those can all be pollinators. There's lots of different species. Anything that visits a flower can pollinate that flower.
1: Typically, when we say pollinators, people think of, oh, butterflies or bees. or, right. And that's the two big ones, which obviously, you know, they do, I guess, the majority of the work. Right. But... You know, things like you said, like bats. Who thinks about bats being pollinators?
0: Well, you know, so many, there are many flowers that are only open at night. So flowers have figured out ways to attract specific pollinators by doing specific things. So, for instance, the flowers are open at night, um, generally are white, to attract things like bats and moths to pollinate them. Um flies like to pollinate things that have a stinky smell smell like rotten meat so flowers have figured out these ways to attract pollinators that work well for them so one thing i will say is that pollinators some of the best pollinators are those that are hairy Mm -hmm. things that have a little extra body hair on them like bees um, are really great at picking up pollen when they go to a flower accidentally and uh, carrying it from one flower to the next. So usually the hairier the pollinator, the better it's going to be.
1: So how do we create a habitat for pollinators? What's the best practice for us to do? Obviously planting different kinds of flowers. Yeah, what sure, else?
0: Sure. Um, so you think about habitat, Habitat's the same for any creature. They need food, shelter, and water. So if we can give all three of those things, to pollinators then we can we can go a far way to keeping them in our garden altogether so as far as shelter we'll start there everything needs shelter Uh, pollinators need shelter during the day when they are not busy pollinating they they tend to rest they light somewhere and they need somewhere safe so somewhere that's um, close to their food source but somewhere that's um, protected, such something such as like a an evergreen bush that has lots of small limbs on it, so that insect can light there and not get eaten by a bird. Um, they also need shelter for their young. They need somewhere for their uh, to raise their their young, um, and and generally somewhere um, like think about a. Think about a uh, butterfly. They have to have somewhere to leave their chrysalis, somewhere that's kind of got lots of branches around it so a bird can't find it somewhere. It can camouflage uh, in with that shrub. So lots of shrubbery next to your flowering plants is helpful for the pollinators to keep them protected, give them shelter. A lot of pollinators, and I probably talk about bees a lot. Native bees are just about my favorite thing. a lot of native bees they spend the majority of their life in phases that are not their adult phase so they need places they they tend to nest in things like stems hollow stems so if you can leave some old brush in your garden generally a native bee that is a they're called cavity nesters about of the native bees are cavity nesters. If you will leave some hollow stems, so wait till your your flowers die this year, uh, the the stems will hollow out next, be hollowed out next year. And that's when they would lay their eggs in there and raise their young. So you really need like 18 months to two years of dead stems in your garden to um to give them somewhere to lay their eggs and so that might not be a pretty thing i know my neighbors don't want to see old dead plants in my yard that are just i mean it just doesn't look nice all the time right so uh, a way around that is to cut some of those stems last year's stems and just lay them make a little brush pile in the back of your yard where nobody sees it and just leave it there for a couple of years that gives them those old stems that they need to lay in and uh, it keeps it out of sight for you um, and your neighbors. You could also build a habitat for them for those uh, cavity nesters. You can um, get a wood block that is not pressure treated. Um, I've used like a six by six cut into about one foot sections and you drill holes in it. If you go to the website zerces.com, they've got a really great um, step-by-step guide of how to create those those habitats mm-hmm. and uh, just follow that and put it out you will get something in there every year
1: and that's Xerces with an
0: X sorg you're right yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah Xerces.org. the other habitat that specifically native bees like there's a you know I said I think I said 30 percent nesting cavities but 70% nest in the ground and as mm. gardeners we're always told keep mulch on the ground, keep mulch on the ground, everything needs to be mulched or covered so the soil doesn't wash away. But um, native bees in particular, that 70 percent that are ground nesters need bare soil. So just finding some patches that you can leave bare soil in your garden, probably not somewhere that's really low that holds water, somewhere on the higher side that drains nicely, and bees will dig into that and uh, they will make they will lay eggs in there.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of people get scared of when they see bees burrowing in the ground, they think it may be something like a yellow jacket or, or some other harmful bee right? and you know, we'll get calls about it. This is what do I spray on these bees? They're, you know, they're, they're Mm -hmm. scared they're going to get attacked, but they're Mm -hmm. probably pretty docile, right?
0: Yeah. I really like to watch them. And you know, you mentioned wasps. There's mm-hmm. a lot of native wasps that will build their nests in holes as well. And they're not harmful. You know, you think about a yellow jacket, um, but there's plenty of other native wasps and bees that nest in the ground that, that don't do any damage at all. As far as so, that's food. I mean, that's shelter, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you also need to provide water for your bees and your native pollinators any sort of pollinator needs a water source so um, if you are putting a water source in your garden um, it would be best in a sunny location um, that they somehow the way the the rays reflect off the water it makes it more visible if it's in the sun as opposed to in the shade so try to put your water location in a sunny spot or at least somewhere with afternoon sun
1: just any source of water like a either a bird bath or bird bath a cup is of water dude fine
0: um, yeah you know like a even a, the trays that you put under pots we mm-hmm. all know those trays and i know that we say don't leave them under pots because they hold too much water well you can actually just take those and set them in your garden and fill those with water. If you'll change that water out about every three days, you won't have mosquitoes. Um, they also just like puddles of water. Um, they like to get minerals out of puddles from the mud beside the puddles. So any sort of water is good as long, the only thing that I would say is make sure that there's no pesticides in those waters or coming close to those waters. That That's the only concern.
1: I think a lot of people, um... You know they'll they'll try to get rid of mosquitoes like you said so changing the water is pretty important and you know anytime somebody has a mosquito problem we'll tell them you know buy the little little donut dunks mm-hmm. that you can put in water but that has bt in it so that can kill a pollinator right or does it
0: i think it's okay <laughs> okay it is okay for bees okay for sure um that would be something that would be good to check. Yeah. And maybe we should check that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, really, if you just change out that water every three days, um, and generally, if you've got it in the full sun, it's going to be dried out in three days anyway, especially in the summertime. So that may not even be a concern long term.
1: So one of the habitats I saw on one of our tours that we did as a, as a team was the little houses mm-hmm. uh, that you can build. That probably may be a little bit more attractive if you didn't want to have, you know, just some brush laying around. Uh, And they use bamboo, right? Just kind of stack bamboo on top of each other uh, in a little house.
0: That's one way to do it. And uh, I think the idea behind bamboo is that bamboo is all different sizes. Um, So you would get all different pollinators attracted to that. If you know exactly what sort of pollinator you want to try to attract, like specifically a native bee, you can um, gauge the size whole uh, toward that specific bee and create, you know, the right size hole for that bee. But if you just kind of want to put one out there that's general and just kind of see what you get, kind of like fishing for bees, mm-hmm. then uh, the, the bamboo would be great. That they, they do need to be, all of those tubes need to be about six inches long. And native bees prefer to have the back of the tube solid. So those are the two things that I would say, six inches long with the back solid and then um, another thing that people do that's very helpful because, you know, we think about diseases, diseases are in everything, plants, mm-hmm. insects, people, everything has diseases. And to, to reduce the disease potential, if you take paper and line those tubes, just 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 wrap it around and make a little tube and stick it in that bamboo and change that out every year, then you go a long way to preventing these diseases from one year to the next
1: that's a really good tip um i I, i'm not that familiar with that kind of stuff i just you know we had seen Mm -hmm. um that pollinator house that was built and i thought that was Mm kind of neat for people that want to attract pollinators so you know that's kind of more the unconventional which i guess there's a lot of things that will attract bees like or pollinators like that but plants obviously those are the most right you know that's what they're going towards what kind of plants out there should people be planning to attract more pollinators? I know there's a, there's a huge sure. list of them. Sure. And I have my list of favorites. So what's <laughs> some of your favorites? <laughs>
0: Okay, but then you tell me your favorites too, because you know um, I like plants.
1: <laughs> well, you know, there's uh, I have a I have a huge list of them, but like I like vitex or lilac chase tree. Yeah. You know, that's a that's a really good one. attracts mm-hmm. a lot of bees.
0: Bumblebees especially.
1: Yeah, one. I, I really like that tree. It's tough, uh, and it's I think it's really underused. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people don't even know what it is. It's mm-hmm. a if you don't know what it is, it's a smaller tree. It it stays you know within 20 feet, I would say. And um, it has a purple spike at the top. Really loves the heat. When it gets hot, it's just—it's uh, a great tree for that. So that's one of my one of yeah. my favorites that people don't really think about putting in their landscape. You know, of uh, echinacea, I love that. Um, yeah, so that's, that's a couple yeah. of mine. So.
0: Yeah, and you know both of those. Um, have things that are desirable for the bees specifically or for the pollinators specifically the fact that both of those flowers are cluster flowers so the insect can sit on that flower as a compound flower and find lots of little flowers inside of that to sip Mm -hmm. from so it um it's kind of like a buffet you know, that bee or that butterfly can go to that vitex and sit there. And without moving around all over the place and wasting energy, it can sip from lots of small flowers at one time. So they really like that. Those, those flowers that are compound flowers, it's one flower that's made up of a lot of smaller flowers. So your vitex is one, um, another really common flower that's compound would be like a lantana. That's one that pretty Mm -hmm. much everybody knows is uh, one big flower made up of a lot of smaller flowers. Um, And then composite flowers. So flowers that are, um, they have petals on the outside and a big disc on the inside. And that's another one that's just a bunch of flowers all jammed together. They're really tiny, so it just looks like one flower to us. Mm -hmm. But to the bee, it looks like a bunch of smaller flowers. Um, and it's just a good way to get the maximum amount of food with the minimum amount of energy. Um, so any sort of flower that's a humble flower or a compound flower is really good. Another thing to look for is flowers that aren't hybridized. So there's mm-hmm. old fashioned heirlooms. A lot of times when we breed flowers, um, and I know you, you're, you're a plant person, too, mm-hmm. and so am I. And so I look through magazines and I see all these plants that have, you know, like uh, in- extra cool variegation or they've, you know, got something really neat about them that the, the heirloom doesn't have. And I kind of like to collect those myself. But those in the process of breeding for whatever trait that they are looking for, that extra large flower, that uh, really cool foliage. Sometimes they breed out the nectar and the pollen production of that plant. So really sticking to heirloom plants is important. And then the other kind of plant or flower that you should stay away from is something that's got double petals. Mm-hmm. So think about a rose, right? Yep. Like a knockout rose is an easy one, right? We all know that. And that one, if a pollinator landed on it, they would have a really hard time finding their way down to where the pollen and nectar is because there's so many petals. So if you stick with single flowers, those those pollinators are going to um, be better off, easier to get to that nectar. Yep.
1: So, so what are your favorites?
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? Or can you narrow yeah. that list down? Yeah, I can. Well. Um, So Echinacea, you mentioned that Uh purple coneflower, I've got that blooming in my yard and I really like it because number one, it blooms for a long time. Um, It is a native plant. Any sort of native plant is going to be a better fit for our native pollinators. So that's another thing to look for is native plants. That purple coneflower is always got some sort of a native pollinator on it in my landscape. They bloom for a good long time, and then over the winter, the the um, birds always show up to eat the seeds. Mm-hmm. Which is, I know they're not pollinators in this sense, but it's it's another reason that I really like that that purple coneflower. It's also very easy to grow, kind of seeds out well. Um, another one that I've got in my landscape that I've been super happy with. Is and it was the perennial plant of the year a couple of years back. It's called Calamentha. Mm -hmm. That's the genus, Calamentha. And I know it's got the word mint in it, which probably is scary to some people. Because what do you think when you think mint?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it takes over everything. Right,
0: right. Well, this doesn't. This um, so far is just a small clumping plant. But from dawn to dusk, there is a buzz around that plant. You know, something is on that plant. Um, and it will bloom. Pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> it is a buzz. Uh, and it will bloom until fall. So yeah. I've been really happy with that. So is it um, in the
1: mint family or what's the common name or do you know?
0: I need to look that up. I yeah. should have looked that up beforehand. Um, but it's, it's just been a spectacular yeah. pollinator plant and it's fairly drought tolerant in the full sun and uh, I there doesn't require any deadheading. It's just a really easy plant to to plant and let go. Um, Probably my third favorite pollinator plant um, is mountain mint. Mm -hmm. And okay, once again, it's got the word mint in it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little scary, but it's a native, um, it's a native plant that's doesn't really spread like mint it 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 does spread but not nearly as aggressively, it's not going to take over right As yeah. like a spearmint or something but uh it gets about three feet tall and it's got a silver flower on it and that also is always covered in some sort of pollinator hmm. and it blooms for the majority of the summer
1: yeah all right so any any other Plants that you uh, really love, that uh, or something that maybe sure. is underutilized that people need to really consider.
0: Sure. Well, um, I, I think you could. Another good, you know, when you're thinking about food sources, another good thing to consider is the season in which those food sources are are flowering. Right. Nature has spring covered. Like we don't we don't need to like add extra plants for spring because there's gobs of plants blooming in the spring Mm -hmm. but as we get closer to fall so that uh, late summer and into fall both of those seasons if you just think about your own landscape things sort of it dries up things sort of stop blooming blooming slows because it's so dry what nectar is there um, it's it's usually less because Mm -hmm. it's so dry out Um, so really Thinking about planting for late summer and fall is a really good idea. That's what the pollinators would probably most appreciate, that extra food source. So things like asters are really great. Um, they bloom late season um, all the way up into frost. And in and, and my garden, sometimes after frost, I've still got asters blooming. And um, salvias are another good one that bloom Mm -hmm. really late into the season. And I've seen, um, I've got honeybees at my house and uh, they are all over that salvia in the late, late summer. Um, So really think about trying to provide food sources for later in the season. Don't worry about spring, that's covered.
1: So speaking of honeybees, you know, there's a lot of insects that we have out there that are that can cause harm to our plants. Uh, One in particular I'm thinking of is Japanese beetles. You know, people have a huge, I mean, we have just been inundated with Japanese beetles. We have every year. It's just kind of a fact of life that we have them now. So how can we treat those type insects without harming our pollinators? Or is there anything that's safe chemical wise that we can spray?
0: Sure, Uh, that's a good question. Um, One good thing to link here would be uh, Alabama Extension has a publication called Protecting Pollinators in Urban Areas and it's got a list on the back of it of the things that are safe to use for pollinators, safer, and um, the things that are not safe at all. So that would be a really good thing to link or to look up just so you've got that list on hand. but there are some things that you can do if you've got Japanese beetles. In fact, mm-hmm. um, I have Japanese beetles in my yard as yeah. well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the easiest thing to do, um, and it's super safe, mm-hmm. and I do it in my yard, is I've got uh, beetles. And so I just take a little cup and I put some water in it. And then I just put a squirt of soap in it, you know, Dawn dish soap, whatever. And then I take it out there. And I just knock those bugs right down in there. There's no chemical getting on anything that could hurt mm-hmm. a pollinator. It's only getting those bugs that I want to uh, kill. And you knock them in there and they drowned in that soapy water. So that's one thing that's super easy. It also um, helps you spend time in your landscape. Yeah. You know, you're out there knocking off those Japanese beetles or whatever bug, and um, it's, it's giving you time in your yard to see what is lovely to look at or mm-hmm. what is a problem. Um, so that's one thing you can do.
1: But don't spray your plants with <laughs> with the dish soap.
0: No, 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 no. <laughs> right, right. Don't spray your plants with the dish soap. Just yeah. a nice little cup.
1: That rumor's out there. <laughs> it's all over social media. So please don't do that.
0: <laughs> right, right. So other things that you can do if you've got insects that you really have got to treat um, are first... The time that you spray
1: mm-hmm.
0: is important. So we always say that pollinators work bankers hours, eight to five. They go to bed at night uh, when the sun goes down and then you don't see them till the next morning. So if you need to spray something, we'd recommend that you spray in the evening around sundown. Uh, and that's that's fairly safe for your pollinators. Another thing that you can do is if you know you've got something that needs spraying, and you know it's got flowers on it, you can cut those flowers off or mow the flowers off. You know, if it's in your lawn, you need to spray something on your lawn, mow the flowers off. And mm-hmm. then the pollinators are going for flowers. If there's no flowers there, there's probably not gonna be any pollinators there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that that will keep the pollinators away while you treat. That's another thing to do.
1: Yeah, I listened to uh, something the other day and he mentioned, you know, clover. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna have to spray for something, especially Japanese beetles, you know, treating them at the right time is essential. You gotta treat them at the right stage of development. If you have any kind of grubs in your lawn, just you know, just top top mm-hmm. the uh, the flowers off the right. And it's like, oh, that right. makes sense.
0: Right, you know? right. It's a simple thing that yeah. I think people didn't think don't really think about and yeah. uh, and it works. Yeah, you know? take yeah. away the food source, and the pollinator will not be there. And it'll grow back. Yeah. (laughs) And that's another, you know, that's another, you talked about food sources. That's another great source for pollinators is those lawn weeds, as we call them. You know, Mm -hmm. so many people have just a straight Bermuda lawn or a straight zoysia lawn. And if you can incorporate some clover in there or spring beauty or violets, Uh, oxalis, any of those things are really great for pollinators.
1: So we kind of talked a little bit about pollinators in general and and especially landscape plants, but what about in our gardens? Uh, Same thing for gardens. Uh, Do we need to plant these flowers around our garden or what can we do to attract more when we're having a garden?
0: Yeah, just as many flowering plants as you can that will attract pollinators. Um, and it will get the pollinators to stay in your landscape f- full-time. You know, you think about um, butterflies are considered a pollinator, although they're probably not the strongest of pollinators. Uh, the other thing that you can do for those is to plant those habitat plants, or the food sources for caterpillars. Mm-hmm. So things like uh, milkweed, anything in that carrot family, fennel, dill, uh, carrots, parsley, any of those are really great for swallowtail caterpillars as well. So, adding the the caterpillar food sources into your landscape, incorporating those will be helpful. Making sure you've got some pollinator habitat nearby those flowering plants. In my landscape, I've got don't judge me.
1: Don't <laughs> no judge judgment.
0: Me. They were there <laughs> when I moved in, but I've got nandinas. Oh yeah, and um, they're the non-flowering kind. It's just a little. Mm -hmm. shrub of foliage. That's. that's, Don't judge me. (laughs) I hear you. um, They are actually, they're right next to my flowering plants and it provides a place for butterflies and other pollinators to light and be protected. Mm -hmm. Um, I was in my landscape last year and I walked by one of my nandinas and I knocked it with my foot and like five butterflies flew out. Hmm. So, you know, they really do use that kind of thing. So, they for, do serve a purpose. Yeah, they, small, yeah. small, and there would still be better plants for that. Yeah. But, but they do serve a purpose. Yeah. You
1: know, well, we have a couple of Nandina haters here, so <laughs> I get it. But yeah, they, they, you know, pay attention. You know, when you're walking mm-hmm. out in your landscape, you know, right. pay attention to what's out there and, and see if you can see mm-hmm. anything. Crawling on it. You know, not all bugs are bad. Right. Uh, there's good bugs and bad bugs.
0: You know, you think about um the the variety of pollinators, especially with um specifically native bees. There's four thousand species of native bees in the United States. Four thousand. Wow. That's you know? insane. That's huge. Yeah. And they all look different, you know. Some are bigger than your thumb, some are, you know, a quarter of an inch yeah I mean they're all different colors there's some that are metallic green Mm -hmm. those are probably my favorite there's metallic blue bees I mean there's just a wide variety of colors and shapes and sizes nature is really cool
1: so what about some pollinators that can be harmful or nuisance pollinators
0: okay the pollinators we love to hate right
1: yeah yeah
0: um so there's one that always comes up and that is the carpenter bee. Oh, yeah. I mean... I get that, a lot I mean, of calls just, about that one. <laughs> right. understand. I totally understand. Because this is your, your structure. You have paid good money for this structure. And something mm-hmm. is boring holes in it. Um, carpenter bees are really great pollinators, you know? Yeah. But when they are digging galleries into your wood, that's problematic. Um, and so that's probably the one that... Um, we get the most calls on about mm-hmm. how to prevent. And I totally understand that. I think the best way, the least toxic way, is just to use one of those um, carpenter bee traps. You know what I'm talking about? It's got a square of wood at the bottom and a jar on top. Mm-hmm. And those are actually pretty good at attracting those carpenter bees. And it really only Gets those carpenter bees.
1: Yeah, and there's nothing inside mm-hmm. of it, right? You nope.
0: Don't... It's just a block of wood and a glass jar. They just love mm-hmm. to,
1: they're attracted to wood. So.
0: Right. And if you'll put them, because carpenter bees come back to the same location from year to year, mm-hmm. and the, the eggs they lay, their babies, come back to that same spot as well, a lot of times. And so if you'll put it where you're seeing the damage, then you'll get more bees that way you'll get more carpenter bees in that trap.
1: That's a, that's a good tip. Uh, cause I, you know, we get tons of calls about I what I do about carpenter bees and they are very much a nuisance. And right, I would say of the pollinators, that's probably the number one thing is, you know, yeah. what do I do? You know, you can also paint, uh, if it's, if it's something you can do, just you can paint a fence or something and that right. will, that will keep them out too. So.
0: They're difficult to control though.
1: Yeah, they yeah. are. So, they are.
0: The, and you probably know this, but the the bumblebee and the carpenter bee, they do a strange sort of pollination called buzz pollination. Mm-hmm. And so they don't, uh, I mean, they, they are hairy, and they do get some pollen on them and transfer from one flower to the other. But they sit there, and you can hear the carpenter bees just buzz, 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 buzz. And uh, that's their way of pollinating a lot of plants. Things like tomatoes mm-hmm. specifically use that buzz pollination um to, to pollinate the tomato.
1: It's interesting. So mm-hmm. they they get up next to the male part and they mm-hmm. kind of shake the pollen off yeah, of it. Yeah, they, right. just,
0: they just vibrate completely. Yeah. Their whole bodies just vibrate and it shakes because, you know, some pollen is extra sticky. Yeah. And so that shakes it loose. Yeah. Hmm.
1: yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, is there anything else on pollinators?
0: I have one really cool thing that I can share with sure. you. Sure. Um, and this is something that I learned just a couple of years ago, but I think it's really cool is that... Um, we can't see it, but you know, uh, pollinators see a different range than we do. Mm -hmm. They can see ultraviolet. And one really cool thing to do, if you've got some extra time, is just to Google, uh, nectar guides of flowers. So a lot of flowers, um, you know, we just see our, our normal range, but some flowers have specific little guides that guide the pollinator to where the nectar is. They're called nectar guides, and they're in that UV spectrum. And so if you just Google it, you can see some really interesting um, nectar guides on flowers. You know, one specific one is dandelion, right? Mm-hmm. What does a dandelion look like?
1: Which part? <laughs> <laughs> the flower. Well, the flower, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of the the spent oh, old, yeah, yeah, yeah. old, you mm-hmm. know... You, that's what people think of when you think dandelion, you know. But they're, you know, the little yellow yeah, flowers.
0: a yellow flower. Yeah. But when a bee looks at it, they see like a bluish color on the inside. The center of that flower has these UV nectar guides in there huh. that are a different color. And so they follow that different color and it guides them right to the nectar. Wow. Isn't that interesting?
1: That's really interesting. Yeah.
0: A lot of flowers have them and we can't see them. It's just a neat thing so to So it's Google not in.
1: necessarily what the, the petals are, sometimes, right?
0: Sometimes you can see it. We can see it on the petals. Sometimes yeah. you'll see a streak going towards the center. But mm-hmm. sometimes it's in that UV spectrum that we can't see. Wow. It's really neat.
1: That is really neat. Nature's cool. Yeah. Well, Allison, uh, thank you for being with me today uh, talking about pollinators. So uh, if you need more information, there's plenty of information on our website, aces.edu. Uh, We also have programs throughout the year on different programs. We also have a bee symposium every year. You want to talk about that real quick?
0: Sure. If you are into honeybees, which I am also into honeybees, we have a uh, Alabama Extension Beekeeping Symposium. It's the first weekend in February every year. Even if you're just interested in bees and don't have bees, it's a really cool thing um, to come and sit in on. It's two days worth of bees. classes excuse me it's one day worth of classes yeah all on beekeeping and there's a big vendor floor with lots of vendors you can buy all sorts of bee related things as well and then we also have a beekeeping newsletter which features every month from the Auburn Bee Lab a pollinator of the month and you can learn about a new strange bee that you probably didn't even know existed
1: Wow, that's cool. You could
0: register for that on our website as well.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you for being with us. And hopefully you will take some of these practices and incorporate them into your, your lawn, your landscape, or your garden. And hopefully you can track more pollinators. So thanks again.
0: Thank you.
1: From the Ground Up is a production of the Alabama Cooperative Extension System.